Today we're going to continue our series called Rivers of Living Water about the Holy Spirit. And I want to quote you uh, just a portion of that poem that we heard. And then I'll kind of give you an idea where we're going to go today. The question I have to ask now is, did I have the eyes to see what was in front of me? Did I possess the ears to hear, the mind to understand, or the heart to truly believe that you were present all this time? I'm finding myself in a sense of longing for a connection, a real and intimate relationship. But I know to do so, step one is to surrender, to let go of these fears and misconceptions, to begin to see and believe the Holy Spirit to be more than a what, but a who and a why. So last week, Pastor Ron shared with us who the Holy Spirit is, that he is our comforter, he is our advocate, that like that poem says, he is a vital member of the Trinity, that he is the representation of that affection, that closeness that God wants with us. Today, we're going to ask the question, why? Why? Why is this important? And we're going to do a little bit of a a look into theology. Now, theology is a uh, word that we use often nowadays, but what theology is, it's, it's the study of the nature of God. Biology is the study of life. Anthropology, the study of human beings. Theology is the study of the nature of God. But we as the church, we can't just leave theology to the people with PhDs and degrees. We each need to understand and have our own theology. We all have ideas about the nature of God. And some of those we come to purposely by looking at scripture. Some of them are affected by the songs that we sang today, right? You're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's a part of our theology, that we believe God's a good father. And that's true in the song, but it's also true in scripture. But lots of what affects our ideas on theology are things that that aren't true. They're misconceptions and things that we need to get get right. And so when we come together on a Sunday morning, part of this this time together is not just so um, Ron and I can share our wonderful thoughts and you can walk out and think, boy, that was great. It's so you can look at your own theology and say, what is Pastor Ron sharing? Where is my theology wrong? Where do I need to get fixed? And this is especially important when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Because one of the things that's so hard about theology is that people have a lot of different ideas about God. Right? I've heard a thousand stories, we sang that today, of what they say you're like. But one of the, we have a couple real ways that we can get back to and see, is this true? Like in science, it's easily measured. We have ways to measure what we learn. And the ways we measure is by looking at scripture. And it's also by the Holy Spirit in us. So the Holy Spirit is a, is a tool that we use to say, is this what you're really saying, God? So when we have something that's, that's off about the Holy Spirit, it can be especially damaging. I want to give you an example today of just this idea of theology and what different theologies can look like, right? We're going to use the example of theology of scarcity versus theology of plenty. And what this means is that a lot of people have this idea about God, that this idea of scarcity, this idea that that he's not going to be enough, that, that, that he's not enough. And many of us wouldn't say that. We probably don't put that down in our Bible. Yes, theology of scarcity. But many of us, how we approach God proves that we have a theology of scarcity. Every time something new happens, we don't think God's going to be on the other side with something for us, right? 
When we look at morality, we look at what we do, we think I have to be good enough for God. I have to do enough like that kid in class that always has to do just enough. When it comes time to pass the bowls for offering, we think what do I have to give so that God's not upset with me as if God was just sitting there waiting for our money. One of the biggest ways I see a theology of scarcity is how we view church this time on Sunday morning. But who here has a hydro flask? Okay, and the rest of you are just concerned as to why Charlie's talking about a flask from the stage. Charlie, we need to talk. So hydro flasks, if you've seen them, are those real colorful little things that people put like water or coffee in. And for the longest time, I was like, I do not get it. And then I got one. And it's like an addiction, and they multiply, and you end up with like seven hydro flasks. But um, they're awesome. They keep water cool. They keep coffee hot. And I think a lot of us think that we keep our Holy Spirit in a little hydro flask, right? Maybe the big one, the 64-ounce that I don't know why people need. They're going into the desert. Um, but that we come in on Sunday morning, and, and, and this place, this church, which we love this church, we think it's this spring, right? And we come in with our empty hydro flask, and we fill it up, and then we go out in the world, slowly taking in the spirit. And if anybody tries to come up to us on Saturday and ask about God, sorry, I'm pretty much dry. I'm going in the morning to get filled up, right? This theology of scarcity. And, and a lot of us have probably come to that because we've prayed for things, and God's not come through. And we've got, what's wrong, God? I mean, But if we look, if we realize that our God is a God of plenty, Psalm 24 says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Last week, Pastor Ron, he shared out of John 14, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Our God is not afraid. It's not that when Jesus left, we were just left here alone to kind of barely struggle on. He says, you're going to do more. And then in the next verse, and so often when we have a favorite verse, the next verse is even better. And this is what John 14, 13 says. You can ask for anything my, in my name and I will do it. And lots of us have had unanswered prayers, but God says if we ask in his name that he will do it. That's a theology of plenty. And how that looks in our lives is that when we look at what we do, how we act, it's not trying to measure up. It's not trying to be good enough. But when we, how we behave, our behavior is a way that we can show affection to God. Scripture says that we should try to outdo each other in doing good things. What would our community look like if we were trying to outdo each other by blessing the people in it? When it comes time to pass the offering, you don't need to give out of guilt. God doesn't need a tip. When we give, it's because we can talk to the Holy Spirit inside of us how much we should give. If you're in a time where you're struggling, maybe it is just that 10% that Scripture says. If you're in a time of plenty, maybe it's more but you never need to give out of guilt. And the last part of that theology of plenty is that we're not coming into the church with our empty hydro flasks to this fountain. You are the fountain. The amazing thing about scripture is that it tells us that each of us can be this fountain of the Holy Spirit. And when we come together, it's not so that we can just barely squeeze out enough that we can all fill our hydro flasks. It's that when we come together as 100, 200 fountains just pouring the Holy Spirit out, that it would flow out of this place. That Kaimaki would be blessed, that Honolulu would be blessed by the gathering of believers that are full of the Holy Spirit. Theology of scarcity, theology of plenty. We've seen examples of both in this earth, but one is true and one is not.
And we need to understand the same thing with the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to go and we're going we're gonna to approach this theology of the Holy Spirit. We're going to approach what we think. We're going to ask questions uh, like good scientists do. We're going to ask some questions and we're going to start with the question, why? Pastor Ron last week said who. We're going to start with why today. And the first thing we need to know about the Holy Spirit, why we should care, why we ask these questions about the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit is beneficial. Now, a lot of you are saying, duh, I get that. But we need to understand that, that Christ says that it's better. In fact, in John 16, it says this, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate, or like Pastor Ron said last week, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. So Jesus says, it's better that I go, that I leave, so you can have the Holy Spirit. Now that almost feels wrong to say. It almost seems wrong that Jesus would say, it's better that I go, but he's saying it's better that you would have the Holy Spirit. Now I want to give us a, a not-so-spiritual example, but who's, uh, who's heard of Jimi Hendrix, the guitar player? Now if I started to study Jimi Hendrix, I grew my hair out, somehow got it into an afro, started wearing like purple velvet and started reading his books and learning everything I could about being a guitar player. I might be a better guitar player, right? Maybe. Lisette would get upset after I trashed the stage and like lit my guitar on fire, played the national anthem. If I had the spirit of Jimi Hendrix, not in a creepy way, um, but teaching me and guiding me and every day telling me how he got to be a better guitar player. Which one do you think would be more beneficial? But that's what we have with the Spirit of God inside of us. We have that. In our, in our talks with our spouse, we don't need to go, honey, hold on. I need to consult the whole of Scripture and then I'll know how to talk to you. Right? We have the Spirit of God inside of us. We have the one who created our spouse who has love and compassion for them beyond what we can humanly have. I'm not a parent, but when, when you parent and you just don't have the answer, you have the, the spirit of the God who created them. Every weird little personality trait that starts to bloom, he put it there on purpose. We have that. But we don't utilize it. We're afraid of it. And I think the reason we're afraid of it is because this next truth, that the Holy Spirit is powerful. The Holy Spirit's powerful. I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture now that um, it's a little strange. It made me make you a little uncomfortable, but I want, I want us to read this together. So Mark 16 says this. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. Now, this is the point where, like Oprah, I say, look under your seats, and there's a snake and some poison. But no, not really. Um, yay! Everyone gets a car. No. Um, sometimes we read things like this, and it really messes with us, because we're like, what is he talking about with snakes? And so often when we look at the Bible, we want lists. We want things that we got to do, and... Um, and we take something narrative, and we make it normative. Now, what I mean by that is narrative like a narrator. We take a story in the Bible, and so much of the Bible is stories, and we make it normative. We make it something that has to be true every time. And we try to put the Holy Spirit into a box that this is how it works, right? 
Because if the Holy Spirit is a force, like it said in that poem, if it's a, if it's a what, like the force in, in Star Wars, you know, we can start to understand it and make rules about it. So we take the stories of the Holy Spirit, like in the, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit falls on Samson and he gets super strength, which is what I'm hoping my spiritual gift is, but I don't think it is. Right? When, when the Holy Spirit is with Jesus, he is heals and he drives out demons. When the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost, they speak other languages. But we fall in love with the powers, right? We want that stuff. So then you get entire churches that say, if you don't speak in tongues, then you, then you don't have the Holy Spirit, right? Well, that's just like saying, if you don't have super strength, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And what we decide is we decide how the Holy Spirit has to move. And we get hung up on handling snakes. And there are churches that do handle snakes. But we can't do the opposite. We can't say, we can't just remove it. We can't say, that, oh, that supernatural stuff makes me uncomfortable, and we just cut it out. Pastor Ron, a couple, a couple weeks ago, talked about government. We talked about, so Thomas Jefferson was important in the founding of our government. He has a version of the Bible where he copied and pasted all the miracles out. You can still buy it today. It's called the Jefferson Bible. It's a very short read. And we can all do that. We can say, you know what? I'm just going to go around these parts and cut those parts out because they make me uncomfortable. But if we look every time the Holy Spirit comes and is represented, it comes supernaturally. Every time something amazing happens. And we cannot remove that aspect of God just to make ourselves more comfortable. This is what Francis Chan, an author, says in this book. He wrote a book called uh, Forgotten God, and it's all about how we've, we've left the Holy Spirit behind. We've cut him out, and, and he is the forgotten part of God. And this is what he says. There's a big gap between what we read in Scripture today, or Scripture about the Holy Spirit, and how most believers and churches operate today. The church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. We are not all we are made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and the presence of the Spirit of God. We become irrelevant. When we take the supernatural out of the ministry of Jesus, this ministry that is now ours, we take away its teeth. We need that power. In fact, later in Scripture, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, it says this, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. Let love be your goal. The biggest thing is love, but we should also desire these things. And I have to ask this question. This is a hard question, but are you worshiping the God of the Bible? Is your theology in keeping with this God who tells us very clearly who he is in the Bible, who wants to give us his spirit so that we can know him more? Or have you, like Jefferson, Cut out the parts that make you uncomfortable. Because one is a theology of scarcity, right? You will always, if you're missing out on the Holy Spirit, you will always feel like God, there's something missing when God has some plenty for you on the other side if we would understand his spirit. And the last thing we need to ask about why, the last thing I want to say is that the Holy Spirit is essential. The Holy Spirit is essential. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I need to confess something. It's going to be weird, but there is a point. I sweat a lot and for long periods of time after I work out, okay? You need to know, I usually go work out in the morning about 5.30. I don't get done sweating till about 9.30, okay? 
and work starts at nine. So you, you can imagine this is not always good. So I have sweatshirts at home. And these are not like sweatshirt material, but just shirts that I sweat in. My wife is one, she's so glad I'm sharing this with you guys. But um, so what I'll do is I'll wear a shirt and then I'll change shirts when I get to work so that I don't look like a mess all day. Now, this was not a good thing during high school because there's a thing called PE, right? So I had PE like second period, I'd get super sweaty and I didn't have a sweatshirt. So just my shirt that I was wearing was my sweatshirt. So you can imagine my junior year when I found out of my other of my friends, I was like, why aren't you in PE? They're like, oh, we opted out. I was like, you what? What does that mean? You, you can opt out? So I was in my third year of PE not knowing that I could have opted out. I think they did marching band, which was an in-air conditioned room. That is not the same thing as PE. I think a lot of us are made uncomfortable by the Holy Spirit. We see people doing weird things and we're like, I don't want to deal with that. But that's just not an option. We can't opt out of the Holy Spirit. You can't ignore this. We see in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 2, it says this. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. That last part is one of my favorite parts of Scripture. That idea of the Jimi Hendrix standing next to us. We have the mind of Christ. And that's a kind of a convoluted piece of Scripture. But what he's saying is that there are spiritual things that are going to sound like nonsense to you unless you truly understand and have the Spirit of God. There is a deeper relationship with God. We can know God. We can know the mind of Christ. There are mysteries in our faith. There are things that we don't fully understand, but one of those things should not be the voice and the presence of God. If we look in Scripture, in fact, the reason that Christ died was for this deeper relationship. So when we push off the Holy Spirit and when we push off those supernatural things that make us uncomfortable, then we deny the very reason that Christ died. And we opt in for that theology of scarcity as opposed to this theology of plenty. So that's why. Because the Holy Spirit is beneficial. It's a good thing. No matter what you've heard, it's a good thing. It's a powerful thing. It's an essential thing. So the next question I want to ask is this question of how. We can understand the theory. We can feel like that's a, that's a really good thing. But how? How do I step into this deeper relationship with God? And that poem said it better than I could. It said it like this. The question I have to ask now is, did I have the eyes to see what was in front of me? Did I possess the ears to hear, the mind to understand, or the heart to truly believe that you were present all this time? So let's start off with eyes to see. We need eyes to see. This is our faith. If we look at scripture, I think, I think God's favorite thing is faith. 
how Jesus responds while he's on earth to faith, he gets so excited. If we look at the story of the Roman centurion, the Roman centurion comes up to him and he says, you know, teacher, that there's one of my servants who's sick. Would you come heal him? And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll come. And he says, no, you don't need to come. If you say he's healed, he's healed. And we see Jesus just light up like a kid on Halloween, just so excited. He said, I haven't seen faith like this in Israel. I haven't seen faith like this anywhere. God responds to faith. He loves faith. And the Holy Spirit, who is God, is the same way. He responds to faith. In homes, in churches, in countries where there is increased faith, we see the Holy Spirit move like he's meant to. In other countries, we see time and time again, we see healing, we see miracles, we see amazing things. And we just need to increase our faith. And this can be really discouraging because the other side of faith is doubt. And a lot of times, if we, we feel like if we have doubt that we can't tell God about it, that, that there's something wrong with us, and that's just not the case. God loves faith. He responds strongly to faith, and that could lead us to say that maybe he responds equally as strong, but negatively about doubt, but that's just not true. Lisette was telling me, she was listening to a sermon the other day where this guy brought up Doubting Thomas, which has got to be one of the worst, like, names to be given. Oh, Doubting Thomas, you know. But Doubting Thomas, what he said was, I'm not going to believe that Jesus rose from the dead until I can put my fingers in the holes in his hands. And for most of us today, like, that's pretty honest, and it, we read that scripture when Jesus says, here, come, put your fingers in, in the holes of my hands. I think we read it mockingly, like Jesus is like, here. But I think he's saying it lovingly, here. Look, go ahead. Test and see, it's true. When Gideon, when he's trying to see if God is who he says he is, he puts this fleece on the ground. He says, make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And God does. And he's like, all right, now make the fleece dry and the ground wet. And then I think he ran out of combinations. I don't think Gideon was very creative. So he was like, all right, I guess you're telling the truth. But at no point was God just like, I'm done with the fleece. You know, he comes out, it's like a burnt cinder. He's like, okay, I guess we're, we're done with the fleece thing. But God responds so favorably to doubt because doubt, it's part of that relationship. He wants you to engage. If you have doubts, pray. Pray for faith. We're urged to pray for more faith. Faith of a mustard seed, right? Just a little bit of faith, God can grow it. So the huge part of it, if we want to see the Holy Spirit, is eyes to see. The next thing is we need ears to hear. And we talk about this all the time, this hearing by yourself, hearing when you're alone. Quiet time is a huge part of a walk with God, getting alone, hearing the voice of God. Now, again, we can get to the point where we hear a story and we say it has to be true for everybody, right? Narrative and normative, right? where we hear somebody that we look up to who's like, I have a prayer closet. I have a small room that I lock myself in for three hours at a time. You know, and we can get really intimidated and go, that must be what I have to do. And, and some of us are just not wired that way. You need to find the way, the place where you hear the voice of God. If it's surfing, if you need to get in the water and go out there and just be with God, then surf. Find that thing if you do, walking your dog, listening to music, whatever you need to do to hear the voice of God, find out what it is and then just do it to excess all the time because that's when you'll start to see that those rivers of living water start to flow out of you. 
by being alone with God. Jesus himself fought for that time alone, clawed at, made sure he had it, and he had a pretty busy schedule. Find that time alone with God. But also, we can hear him in a group. And this sounds kind of strange, and that doesn't mean we all just sit together and quietly, you know. But when we come together to worship, we should all be overflowing with this Holy Spirit. When we worship, we should be hearing from God. One of the coolest things in Scripture that we see that is practiced so little today is this idea of prophecy. Not of seeing the future, that's what we think prophecy is, but of God giving us words for other people. When I was in college, I I kept having Psalm 144 was kind of a a verse that kept going through my head, and I I didn't know why. It's this idea that he says, to train my hands for battle. I just kept hearing God say that to me. And I had a guy come up to me. He says, I feel like God's just, he gave me this word for you, Psalm 144. And he told me what it meant. And I was blown away. And God loves to work in that way. He loves to use each of us to encourage each other. Some of the best ways you'll hear from the Holy Spirit are scripture, are, you know, in your times alone. But it's also from other people. You were created for community. And this is part of it. The next thing we do, we have eyes to see. We have ears to hear. We also have a mind to understand. It can get a little scary when we just kind of go off on our own and we decide what God is telling us, right? And that's where you have people abusing um, God, abusing the idea of God to say, this is what God told me. And the amazing thing is we've been given scripture. God will never tell you something and then contradict it in scripture. We see that in scripture, and this is what scripture tells us. John 16, 13, 15 says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. All that belongs to the father is mine. This is why I said the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So what you hear from the spirit will always be corroborated in scripture. There will always be, it's the same God. So God will never tell you it's not, it's okay to not forgive your sister. That's just not ever gonna happen. You know, God will never tell you something that contradicts. And the last thing we need to, and this was in the last thing in the poem, was a heart to believe. And this is the idea of vulnerability. Now, I say vulnerability because I think that's every man's favorite word, you know? It's just like if you ask men their favorite thing, they just love to be vulnerable. You know, they love to open up. And not just men, women too. I mean, we love to just share our deepest things with everyone, right? No, vulnerability is really hard. And um, I was looking at, I love TED Talks. If you ever watch TED Talks, and there's this gal named Brene Brown, and she's a researcher. And she started looking into the idea of vulnerability, primarily because she hates vulnerability. So she wanted to disprove that it was important. And what she did is she started studying and talking to a lot of different people. And she found that there were these people she called wholehearted people. And these wholehearted people were the ones who were able to receive and have the most acceptance and love in their lives. And she was trying to figure out what it was that united them. And she found out that it was this idea of vulnerability. It was this idea that they received the most love and acceptance because they thought they were worthy of love and acceptance. And they were able to be vulnerable in relationships. And this is the most important when we look at our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And she said vulnerability has three parts. The first part is courage. This idea of courage, not in terms of bravery on like a battlefield, but the original meaning of courage comes from the Latin word cur, which means heart. So courage was this idea of being able to tell your story with your whole heart. 
being able to tell your story with your whole heart, to be unabashed, to say, this is who I am. Courage is a huge part of vulnerability. The courage to be imperfect. And secondly was compassion. And she said time after time she found that the people who were able to have compassion for themselves had the most compassion for other people. Though we see that's through the same measure that you hold yourself to, that you hold other people, you'll hold yourself to. If you can't have compassion for yourself, you cannot have compassion for others. And the last is connection. This idea of connecting with other people out of authenticity. And if we look at those things, those, that makes me think of Jesus. Those three C's, courage, the courage to be vulnerable. Christ was perfect, and yet he, he let himself be taken for our sins. Compassion, it characterized his, his ministry. Everywhere he went, he had compassion for people and connection based on authenticity. Right? Everywhere he went, he, he met with sinners, and they were comfortable around him. How would sinners be comfortable around somebody who was perfect? It's because he was authentic. But out of that authenticity came connection. And we need those things with the Holy Spirit. We need the courage to be ourselves. We need compassion for ourselves when we mess up. And we need connection based on who we are, not who we are trying to be. So as we talk today about this idea of this theology of the Holy Spirit, what you think, what you come to know, we need to realize that the gospel is a grand story, right? We read our scripture, and the gospel is an amazing story that spans the cosmos and touches everything. But the gospel is also something that you need every single day. The Holy Spirit is someone you need every single day to know him more. You are not enough for the things that you're going to face, but you were never meant to be. What the gospel says is that he is there and with us. We don't have a God like Buddha who has said, this is what you got to do. Go figure it out. He said, this is, the, this is the word that I've given you, and I will walk with you. And we cannot, we cannot pass on that. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. And we want all that you have for us, God. I pray that misconceptions, that lies, things that we've been told, ways that we've been burned um, by people that said that they had your Holy Spirit, God, that, um, that we would be able to get past all of those things, that our theology would reflect the truth, that you've given us an amazing gift in your Holy Spirit, that he is someone who can walk beside us, who can teach us, who can guide us, who can open up our hearts and can give us power to touch and to be there for people that we love, that that just goes beyond what we can naturally do. And Lord, I pray that as people leave today, that they would be touched by your Holy Spirit, that they would be urged to a greater and deeper relationship with you. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen.